Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. And, of course, as usual, please make sure you follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine and subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can go by searching my name, Felix Levine, on YouTube. There you'll have every episode in its full video version as well as smaller clips and highlights from those episodes. And if you want to check out my website, Felix-Levine.com, there's all information about myself, the show, contact information, Photos from every recording, all of that good stuff handy, so please go check that out. And if you're listening to this right now, please just take a second to rate and review the show on Apple's podcast app. A five-star rating would be appreciated, and it would mean a lot if you took the time to do so. And my next guest, he is a former NFL player and the first NFL player to appear on the podcast, and he is now a CEO of his company, Ice Shaker. Please welcome Chris Gronkowski. And we're live. Chris Gronkowski, sir, thank you uh, so much for taking the time today. I'm super excited to have you on my show, so uh, thank you for for being here. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. So I told you a few seconds ago, I don't know if you were able to think of anything. Um, I usually ask my guests if there's a little tidbit, a little something, a little, little something the world doesn't know about Chris Gronkowski. Do you have anything? Man, I mean, I've shared so much on TikTok at this point. I don't know if there's anything left, so... Um... I just did a good, I just posted just now about, um, you know, a slip and slide story that I did in, in college. So uh, we could throw that one out there before everyone else sees it. But um, we had this cool slip and slide in college. It was actually called our floor in our house. And um, we'd get it really full of soap and um, we'd slide from the front door out the back door. And it all ended because I tried to get like a lot of speed and, and it was really slippery. So I tried going off the rug and then cutting the corner. And I went through the wall. So, um, that's how it ended, man. <laughs> a pretty cool story that no one's heard yet until they see my TikTok today. And and I feel like uh, things like that probably happen quite frequently around the Gronkowski family, yes? Yeah, man. There's a lot of damage um, to couches, walls, uh, countertops, all that kind of stuff. Do you think that uh, you, know, you give enough praise to your parents for growing up with so many big, strong boys? Man, I... I have three boys now myself, and I don't know how they did it. I say it every year because it gets crazier and crazier as the kids get older and as you have more. So, uh, yeah, my parents were incredible. I mean, it was a full-time job raising five boys, and, and they did an amazing job. Now, for the people out there that aren't familiar, where do you rank in the one through five? Are you the – I'm the middle. I'm the third. And who who got the most shit? Uh, man, in the most trouble by far was Rob. Um okay easily he was he was uh he he loved it so you know he got what he, he wanted and uh he also got a lot of beatdowns too so it was all cool do you guys think that as a family you guys would have had this, the success that you had had it not been um you know five boys growing up together and plus your dad who was a great um you know motivation and source of uh you know inspiration to to work out and to to pursue an athletic life no man um <clears throat> it really all came just from competition with each other. You know, every day was an all out battle. Uh, it wasn't just the brothers, you know, it was all of our friends as well. So, you know, if the older brother had his friends over, you know, I necessarily, I couldn't necessarily beat my older brother in anything, but I could beat his friends and, and that would just be an all out battle as well. So, uh, man, we just grew up in a really cool neighborhood, a really cool time. And there's a ton of kids in the neighborhood and every day we were that house that everyone came to and we we're just playing everything you could think of from, backyard baseball mini six in the basements man we would compete in eating we'd compete in pogs uh, you know over candy like anything you could think of we would make a, a challenge out of and and we'd we go to the end man and it always end up in a brawl as well and you know all our brawls all day long and that just breeds competition i heard that your dad would say if you had a problem with someone you guys could settle it outside the house was that that's correct yes yeah so um Without, just just fight it out. You couldn't punch each other in the face and you, you couldn't kick each other in the balls. But that was pretty much the only rules. And other than that, it was, yeah, you know, go, go, go for it all day, man. Because after you brought it out, man, everything's cool after that. Who was the, uh, the best, quote-unquote, fighter of the family? 
Man, so I had this huge advantage as a kid because I was the little fat one. And um, if you want, if you want to be a good fighter, man, you, you get get fat and get leverage and get low, man, and uh, and you'll win every time. So that definitely helped me as a kid. Uh, so yeah, man, I was I was pretty scrappy as a kid. Do you remember any like worst battle that you had with one of your brothers? Man, I, I, we had some good ones. Rob has some really good ones with Dan. Rob was the only one crazy enough to kind of jump the older brother and then go to the, the, the one that was older than him. So uh, Rob and I fought like crazy because we were the closest. And then, uh, you know, he would go after Dan and Dan was just an absolute beast. And uh, he was like 6'6", 240 in high school. And Rob would go after him and Dan would just whoop him every single time. And he'd just keep coming back for more. But uh, there, was a, there was one epic battle where the babysitter tried to break it up and Rob whipped a fork at her or at Dan and it ended up hitting the babysitter in the hand and getting stuck in her hand. And he had a bloody nose and he was just spitting blood on the ceiling of our house. So when my parents finally came home, it was like this war zone. <laughs> it was like, man, it was crazy. And that, that babysitter never came back again. That's for sure. Was it, was it always, I mean, like, you know, I guess people on the outside would imagine that it was quite chaotic because to have five boys who are all huge and there's a lot of testosterone, was it as chaotic as one might, imagine it to be i would probably say yeah uh i mean every day was a fight for sure i mean between multiple brothers so i don't think a day went by where you know there wasn't some kind of brawl so yeah man i, I would say i would say it's pretty crazy uh you know i have three boys now and two of them are you know at the age where they can actually fight and it's it's pretty wild already so i can't imagine when you have five that are all in that stage where you know, every day is a, is a brawl. So, yeah, I would say I'll, I'll go with yes on that one. Was there ever uh, like a, a brawl with all five of you at the same time or no? Oh, man, I don't know. So there would probably be four of us. Glenn was a little bit younger. So right. uh, Glenn was four years younger than Rob. So he never really got into the brawls with uh, all the bros. But I would say the other four, yeah, we, we, we would play like backyard baseball and like mini sticks in the basement. And it would definitely end up in a brawl. Now, how has uh, your experience growing up kind of, uh, you know, changed or affected or if any at all, the way that, you know, you parent, you're now three sons? Man, uh, I'm really trying to, to follow in my parents' footsteps. They did a couple of things that I think were were huge um, for, for us. And, and the first one was, I don't even know if it was on purpose at first or not, but uh, it definitely was later on, but they never gave us anything uh, unless we earned it. So, uh you know, if we walk down the aisle, the candy aisle, you know, the checkout that gets everyone and we beg for candy, there was never one time that my mom said yes to us. I, there's no chance. Like she just, we, we could just stop asking because there was no, she never once said yes to us getting candy. Um, you know, stopping at fast food, you know, we used to do chants on the way home, like Burger King, <laughs> Burger King, trying to stop because all of our other friends were, we could see them in the drive through and you know, my parents never would, but their whole philosophy was, you, know, you have to earn everything that you have. And if you want it, you could buy it yourself. And it really taught us the, the value of a dollar, <clears throat> which I think was huge. <clears throat> Sorry, man. But um, with that, like, you know, we, we had jobs when we were young. You know, we had a paper route that taught us responsibilities. Uh, we worked at the, the local baseball fields in, in Umpire. I worked for my dad at the age of 15 delivering treadmills and, and fitness equipment. But just an amazing lesson, man. And, and you see the parents now and, and, and I'm, man, I'm guilty of it. You know, I can give my kids whatever I want to. And when they ask, I, I want to say yes. And you want to give them the world. But when you do that, you're hurting them. You know, you're, you're showing them that all they have to do is cry uh, or complain and you're going to give them what they want. And you see it happen to kids all the time. You know, the, 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 the rich kids and they don't have to be rich either. But uh, you see the parents just give them everything and they never learn to earn it themselves. And it becomes a problem later on in life. And um, I, I just think that was a, a huge lesson. The second one is just. My parents always made us do our homework first before we did anything else. So um, if we wanted to go outside and play sports, which everyone knows us for, we actually weren't allowed to do that until we got our homework done. And it really, there was no exceptions to this. So it wasn't like, Hey, I'll do it later. Or, you know, today you can go outside first. It was always do your work first and then you can play. So uh, that just became normal to us. And, and because there was no other option, we just did it. You know, I, I didn't think anything else. I thought that's, you know, it's kind of, that is what it is. I'm going to come home and do my homework. And how does, you know, uh, have you found it easy to kind of implement those lessons as a father now, or is it a little bit easier said than done for you? Man, it's definitely a little bit easier said than done, I would think. Um, you know, my kids are still young, but but still, um, 
you know, just, just, just you want to give them everything. That's for sure. And um, my wife <laughs> does that a lot too. And, you know, it, it's times where Christmas where everyone, I mean, everyone's just buying them so much stuff. It, it, it's, you know, it's hard to control at times, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I try to work on. And I think one of the things that I, that I really admire about you and in, in your career, whether it's football or, you know, after in business, which we'll get into, of course, um, is just, I think, you know, the discipline and the work ethic. And I, my question to you is uh, how for, for those parents out there that are trying to implement those ideas of discipline and hard work and prioritizing the right things, um, if they're struggling with that, is there any perhaps best piece of advice you have for them and, and things that have helped you with with your children? Man, uh, it's hard. It's hard because, you know, phones and everything that's around now, um, man, it's so easy to give it to them. And, and when you're not a parent and you see people do that, you're like, man, how, how do they let their kids sit on the phone all day? You know, how do they let them, how do you let them sit on the iPad all day? Um, but man, it's, it's, it, you fall into it cause it's so easy and you know, they, they stop crying, they stop whining and, and they, they'll sit there for hours while you get work done. So, uh, man, it's kind of hard for me right now. I don't think it's, at a point right now in my youngest or my oldest is three. So um, it's hard for me to kind of instill those values in them at this point. But as he gets older and he gets into sports, uh, um, I, I think there'll be a lot more opportunity for me to instill these values in them. Now I want to take you back to, to a young Chris Gronkowski growing up. Um, I mean, what were you like as a kid? Were you similar to the way you are today or were you vastly different? Uh, man, I would say different uh, for sure. So we, we grew up in, we never left our house, right? We never went out to eat. Uh, my mom couldn't bring us to church. We were, it was just too much. We were crazy. Uh, so it was kind of the five boys, man, and that was it. So I would say I was a lot more shy. Um, you know, I wasn't that outgoing. I wasn't uh, used to speaking in front of people, meeting new people, stuff like that. That's all stuff that um, you know I had to learn and practice as well and, and get better at. So uh, I think I vastly changed. Um, even after I left the NFL and really started to get out into the business world, I, I realized – how much networking and connections uh, mean to, to a, especially to business and, um, and, and to just life overall, enjoyment of life. So uh, I've put a lot of time and effort into networking and just into speaking and, and getting better at communication skills as well. So uh, stuff like my podcast helps a lot. I'm sure you see that as well. The, the Gronked get- Up podcast. Yeah, man. But I'm sure with you as well, um, you know, the first time you drove on a podcast, bring a guest on, you're nervous and you, you know, you, you're not sure what to expect. And, now I'm sure you get on, on these podcasts and it's nothing, you know, you're used to it. Uh, you're not getting butterflies anymore. You can speak a lot better, a lot clearer as well. And that's what I love about it. And that's what I do now is I, I like to challenge myself and put myself in situations like this so that I get better. What did you expect life would be like when you were, were you growing up? I mean, I know sports was obviously a big one. Did you know that football was immediately the route you got, you wanted to go? I mean, what, how, what was your sense of that? Or what did you hope your future would look like? Man, so we actually, we didn't play football until high school. Uh, so it, it was never really pushed upon us. Uh, it was never really something we thought we were going to do. Uh, that all came about when my older brother, the second, second oldest brother, Dan, started playing and was kind of this, this stud quarterback. He started playing because he was 6'6", man. He was kind of forced to, to play football. And after that, it was kind of just this bug, man, this virus that went through us. And we all wanted to play. We all thought it was cool. And um at that point, it was kind of like, yeah, man, this this is cool. I never thought I personally had a chance uh, to get to the next level. You know, I was a, a two-star, if even that, coming out of high school. Um, I was lucky enough to get a last-minute offer to the University of Maryland and um, you know, was, was really grateful for it. But my goals was you know, go to college, get the best degree I possibly can. Uh, I, was, I was praying that it would be for free. I was actually committed to the University of Pennsylvania Ivy League where wow. you know, I would have been coming out with like 200K in debt. And uh, last minute decision and last minute offer got thrown on the table to the University of Maryland that I took. And, um, you know, I, I just took that and just said, hey, you know, that was that was a miracle. Um, I'm going to go play at, at a D1 level and, and, you know, have fun and compete and, and do the best I can. But it's probably not in the cards for me to get to the next level. So I'm going to get the best degree I can. So I ended up transferring and at Arizona, I went into the business school as one of two athletes and I guess one of two football players in the business school. And got an accounting degree because I thought it was the hardest degree you could possibly get and um, just figured I'd use that and, and do some taxes or, or some accounting work and become a CPA and, and make a pretty good living off of it. I'm really glad I didn't, but um, it, it, that was kind of my mindset at that point. 
what at what point did you think or did you realize that okay maybe this football thing might work to an extent or I, I have a shot of you know playing at the next level man uh really never until it actually happened <laughs> uh my junior year i started getting a lot of looks that was the first time i actually started um uh, as my freshman year uh, i played on like special teams and a little bit of goal line fullback that i transferred so I, I missed my sophomore year then my junior year uh, i started for the first time and i had a really good year and um, scouts came in to watch rob but at the same time they were kind of like you know, who's this other kid and, and I, my coach used to I, I thought he was joking about it at first and he used to tell me all the time like hey they're, they're coming to see you and uh I was like, good one, man. They, they got the jersey number mixed up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eventually I kind of realized that, you know, there was a shot there. And um, I knew it was never a, a good shot. I knew it was going to be like a one and done uh, opportunity. So when I finally got that shot, I just went all in, man. I just went all in as an undrafted free agent and did everything I could to make the team. Now, when when those scouts are coming and, you're, and you know, you joke about, uh, I think you guys got the jersey number mixed up. Was there any um, part of you that, you know, because Rob had obviously his success, um, was there ever any form of like resentment or like, you know, because another, you know, your brother has this attention? I mean, how's that? How's that with a family of five, you know, testosterone filled big boys who are all playing high level sports? Yeah, man, uh, I would say like early on, that would have been a big deal, like before high school. Uh, we were definitely, you know, if, if your one brother did something great, uh, you were pissed, you know, you're trying to one up them for sure. But as we got older and we started playing together, it really became something where we were trying to help each other out. Mm. And once you go through that struggle together and you really put it out there and you grind and, you know, you, you, you become passionate about it and, and you have respect for each other and what you, what you accomplish. So at that point, I realized how hard he was working and, you know, how much he's done to, to be where he is at that point. And, uh, it was just all support at that time. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things that, and I think one of the reasons why the Gronkowski family name has been so like beloved is just because they know that you're this big family of like super nice guys that all worked hard, that have all done things. And I think that, uh, you know, I can speak as, as a fan really of, of all you guys is um, just to see that in different, like the family feuds and the stuff like that, to see you guys all yeah. together is always super nice. But I'm wondering, like, when you're at Arizona with with Rob, um, how many seasons did you play together there? Just one. So just uh, so I was there my sophomore year, but I set out. He played that year. Uh, we played together junior year, and then he got hurt uh, my senior year. So we really played one full season together. And what was what was that like? I mean, you guys, do you guys hang out after practice? Do you guys, you know, what's yeah, it like we to go together. to school? Yeah, for sure. So we lived together um, in the same house the whole time we were there. And older brother Gordy actually came. Came and lived with us for a little bit as well. So uh, it was a good time, man. That's for sure. Now, take me to draft night where, um, you know, Rob goes early. And I believe you were projected to go like somewhere in the fourth round, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Or that's at least from one report. Um, and then you go undrafted, but then very quickly right after you, you sign with the Cowboys. What was, I mean, take me through that whole draft night experience. And I, ma- I imagine, you know, I saw, I saw one interview with, uh, with your whole family where your dad gets a little emotional talking about when he's watching you. So I couldn't even imagine what he's like on draft night when he has two of his boys in the potential draft. But take me through that night with the whole Gronkowski family. Yeah, so um, we're actually in New York City for it, for the first round. The first round's the first night. So, um, you know, that day, it was a little rough for us because we thought Rob was going first round and, and he didn't end up going first round. So uh, we came back the second day. He went early. Um, it was a party for sure. We all celebrated. Uh, ended up heading back to Buffalo to kind of um, to, to get like this this draft party going. And then you know the, the last day, uh, the third day was you know I think what third through seventh round. So uh, for me, I was told by my agent right away that you know there's a small chance I'd be drafted. Uh, and even with that, he he kept saying over and over like you you might be in a better situation if you go undrafted. Uh, at, at my position, at where I was at. Um, sometimes the best thing is to pick the team that you go to. If you get drafted, you don't get to. And what they're really doing late in the rounds is picking for value, not necessarily picking for who they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my brother Dan got picked up in the seventh round, and he went to the Lions and got stuck behind a lot of really good players. They didn't really need another tight end. They just took him because he was the best available. So uh, my agent really stressed that a lot, like, hey, you're probably better off just picking where you go and um, you know some of the teams that – I think you should go to don't have necessarily have picks towards the end there. So um, I wasn't definitely wasn't ex- upset. I wasn't necessarily expecting it. And uh, 
my agent did a great job of finding a home for me. And the second, you know, the draft was over, I didn't even make the decision. It was just, Hey, I know where you're going and you're going here. You're signing with the Cowboys. So um, definitely props to, to, to Drew Rosenhaus and, um, you know, putting me in the right spot at the right time. Now I got to tell you, I've been a, a diehard Cowboys fan. So you're my first, actually you're my first football player on the podcast. So that's uh, really exciting for me. So I'm happy it's you. And then I'm also happy that you were, you were a Cowboy um, because I, I personally uh, love the Cowboys and Tony Romo was always my favorite player growing up. And I know you played with him. Do you have any memorable stories from your time with, uh, with Tony? Man, I mean, for the most part, he would just my memorable stories were getting whooped on the golf course by a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was with him during the lockout, so um, you know we had a lot of extra time that year, and during that time, you know we were able to golf at the Cowboys Golf Course for free. So I uh, saw him up there all the time. I saw a lot of the members; they would just love to brag about how much money they lost to Tony. I'm like, man, like that's really not that cool that you know that you lost a bunch of money to that golf. So. Uh, it's kind of just, it's funny to see, but yeah, he was just such a natural athlete at everything. Oh, you know, he could just go on the field and uh, he was actually just, just his athletic ability was, was insane. And then you see him on the golf course, you're like, damn, man, yeah, what can't you do? And talk to me about the, the relationship when you, you know, you first get into that NFL locker room, you first, especially, you know, at America's team, um, that's a big, that's a big deal. What's it like when you walk into that locker room for the first time and you're like, holy fuck, I'm, I'm in the NFL. Dude, that's definitely intimidating, man, uh, especially uh, the Cowboys. Yeah. They were definitely a, a different situation than any other team I played with. Just the media attention and um, the amount of people in the locker room on the field was just insane. And, and I didn't know the difference at first, but you know, once I went to other teams, I realized really quickly that, uh, man, this is a way different atmosphere in Cowboys Stadium than anywhere else. So, yeah, it was definitely a little bit different. Um, I walked into a locker room with just – big name after big name, man. And they'd show up at a new $100,000 car every day. And, uh, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm driving this used beat up car, man. Like, man, th this is crazy. So I uh, definitely feel like you kind of don't fit in at first and got to, got to make a name for yourself. Is there someone that took you under their wing kind of early on that you remember once you got in the locker room? Uh, man. So one guy that was really cool was DeMarcus Ware. Yeah. He didn't care who you were. Um, you know, he'd come up, say hi to you. I used to work out with him. Uh, he invited me to work out, like personally work out with him in the off season, and he absolutely whooped my ass too. Uh, man, we started this this workout like terrorizes me to this day. But it was like the the warm up was twenty reps of of two twenty five cleans, and um, it was just a beatdown, man. And then it went right to this like ginormous tire, like bigger than any ginormous tire I've ever seen. We we're just doing tire flips just to start it. I'm like. So how long is this workout, man? Because I'm already toasted after the first one. But um, no, I got lucky too, where I got in a situation where my roommate was undrafted as well. Actually, I actually have his jersey on my wall. Um, but he went to I went to school with him at Maryland. And when we tra when I transferred, I, I lost touch with him. And then you know we reconnected. Both were undrafted free agents, and um, kind of made this pact that on day one we said, "Hey, we're going to do everything we possibly can to make this team." And when you have someone in there with you in the same situation as you just absolutely grinded it out, man, it pushes you so much harder in, man, you have, you have the support of each other. So uh, that, that was Phil Costa. And we both made the team that year and undrafted free agent hadn't made it in like 10 years or something crazy like that. And uh, he went on to, you know, I think he was there for four years. He signed a deal with the Colts afterwards, um, a nice deal, a couple, a couple million signing bonus. And he had to actually give it back and retire because his back uh, he had a back injury and, it just wasn't getting better. But uh, if it wasn't for him, um, you know, it, it definitely would have been a lot tougher for me to make that team. And what was it like? I mean, you know, because, of course, all the media attention always goes like the big, the Tony Romos at the time, right? But, you, got, I mean, you're, you're there, you're grinding for a job every day, and you're just an undrafted uh, player out of college, so you're really working for your job on a daily basis. Take us through, because, you know, people don't hear about it enough, I think, what it's like for someone like yourself, you go on draft, you get signed, and you got to prove yourself every single day. What's the stress of that like? I, mean, I know I saw a TikTok where you said you didn't sleep for, for you know, I don't think your whole time there. Yes, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Um, yeah, man, every time I went to the dentist, he'd be like, hey, what are you, what are you doing at night? And they, he wanted me to wear a mouth guard to bed because it's just, it is, it's a stressful situation. People call it a game. Um, man, it was, it was the most stressful job you can ever possibly have. Every single thing's recorded. Um, everything's on the line. One bad play, it, it's over. And 
as a at really any player, um, unless you're a superstar, you, there's no guaranteed money. So if you're not on the roster on a Wednesday, you're not getting paid. Uh, so at any moment, if I wasn't on that roster, it was it was bye bye, game over, find a new job. Um, you know, you might never take another snap again. So the stress level was there for sure, um, and you know it, it definitely wears you down. And it's a long year. You know, you start uh, in camp and you really that's all you do uh, all day every day until the end of the season. So, um, you know, camp plus plus 17 weeks plus playoffs. And that's a grind, man. And all you're doing is studying the playbook. Uh, you're there 5 a.m., 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. And you're just trying to get better each and every day and you're trying to take care of your body. So um, I, I call it more than a, more than just a game. Uh, <laughs> call it probably the, one of the hardest um, and most stressful jobs you could possibly have. Did you ever have any doubts that that was really the right path for you? Uh, no, man, I loved it. You know, when you're young, um, you know, you think you're invincible. That's for sure. I mean, definitely no regrets. It, it was probably the best start I could ever have in life, man. Just if you play it right, you play it smart. Uh, it's a huge, huge advantage, um, you know, monetary wise, but also just reputation wise as well. And um, I took that money and and I put it into a business. Um, I used my connections and my status to, to also help as well. And it, it's been amazing. Now, before we get into to the business, I had one last question. When, since you and Rob both came into the league at the same time, what was that? Were you guys like in constant communication? And, you know, you guys are both experiencing the NFL together um, at the same time. Man, um, when you first get there, it's – I mean, you're right into camp. So um, I didn't talk to anyone during camp. It was kind of like if, if I had time to chill, I was sleeping. Yeah, uh, I was doing whatever I could to recover. So – uh, camp wise, I think we were like three weeks in and, and I finally talked to him was like, Hey, how you, how's it going, man? And he's like, good. And it was like this 10 minute conversation. I'm like, well, all right, man, I'm, I'm taking a nap. I'll talk to you later. And, and that was pretty much it. But really anyone, man, like I, I didn't, you don't really talk to anyone, but your teammates. I didn't really talk to my family, friends, um, no one. So uh, it's just, it's grind mode, man. It, it's grind it, really throughout the whole season too. And the times I would talk to him uh, and talk to my family, most of the time was through playing video games, man. We throw the headsets on after practice. It's, it was just the best way to get away and reconnect with family. It must have been nice. I don't know if it's exactly how it went down, but, you know, the first Thanksgiving when you're back, um, do you remember that? Maybe, uh, you know, seeing Rob for the first time after you guys both get drafted, you guys have been away for a while. And, I mean, do you guys have a big family Thanksgiving? I imagine that's a lot of people. Man, yeah, but um, I guess – I mean, our first right after that. I mean, I played on Thanksgiving Day my rookie year. Oh. So, oh right, you're I, a cowboy. You're playing on Thanksgiving Day. So, um, we played on Christmas Day as well that year. So, we really didn't see each other for holidays. It was really uh, off season was when we started. We're able to to see each other again. And once I was done playing, it really became just uh, game day. It used to it used to be, and now kind of is, uh, except for COVID. But um, it's kind of that day where the whole family gets back together. Now, I want to take you uh, into to the business world, which um, is now where you, you reside and um, finding great success, which is, which is amazing to see. So for people out there that aren't familiar with the ice shaker, will you just give them a really quick rundown so they can get caught up uh, quickly and, and know what we're talking about? Yeah, for sure. So it's a company I started and really just started it because I wanted to use one bottle all day, every day for myself. So um, yeah, I didn't want to use one at work, one at the gym, one at home. I really just wanted one bottle that could do it all, mix, keep my drinks cold, uh, just just live a healthy lifestyle, bring it everywhere, on the airplane, in the pool, on the couch. And so uh, one day after the gym when it was super hot out and my bottle was sweating everywhere and smelled awful, I uh, went home to find something better and there was just nothing out there. So I created this product for myself. And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. They specialize in every single diet under the sun and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP-friendly options. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles, so you will never have any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. They ship anywhere in the country for only $9.50 for shipping and handling, and most orders are delivered within 24 to 48 hours of leaving 
their facilities. Go to uswellnessmeets.com today and when you use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you'll receive 15% off store-wide savings. Again, go to uswellnessmeets.com, use that promo code PODCAST, and you'll get 15% off of every single order. Go check it out today. Now let's get back into it. And then at what point did you think, okay, maybe this is something that I could, you know, start a business with? Uh, so, I, I mean, that was kind of right from the get-go when I when I started creating it and, and looking for it. And I guess it was when I got home that day and just realized that there was nothing out there uh, even close to that. I mean, there was insulated bottles all over the place, but they were super hard to fill. You had to use like a special brush to clean them. And it's like, man, this is by far the simplest idea that nobody's ever done. I, I just don't get it. So uh, went on a journey and, you know, 20 prototypes later and a lot more work than I ever thought it was going to be. Um, you know, I had this bottle and, uh, you know, started going to trade shows and putting it everywhere I could and, and realized pretty quickly that other people were definitely looking for something similar. Now, when you're on Shark Tank in front of Mark Cuban and A-Rod and all of them, um, are you nervous? What, what's going on in your mind? Because I rewatched that video a couple hours ago um, and yeah. I, I wonder what's going on in your mind there. So, um, man, a couple things, but I, I wouldn't say nervous. I, I think I was so well prepared that, um, you know, I guess the only time you really get nervous is those first couple seconds when you're just standing there chilling and it's kind of like the, you know, right before a game starts. And that's kind of the only time you get nervous. Once you start talking, uh, you're good to go, especially if you're prepared. So, uh, what's going through my mind was, uh, I guess the best advice I got was that this is going to last forever. So don't do anything really stupid. Man. <laughs> Kids are going to see this one day. And, um, so with that, I, you know, I had to make sure I was looking extra swole. I got a nice workout in at 6 a.m. that morning. And uh, you know, I was just extra, extra prepared. And that's all I was thinking was, hey, uh, let's go out here, be confident, energetic, and let's get this done, man, because I think we have something really cool here. And I'm really hoping that I at least get an offer. What was, what was the decision-making or the decision process behind um, bringing out all the brothers to, uh, as part of your pitch? Oh man, it was definitely recommended by the producers. Um, and I knew it would help out a lot. So, um, it, it cost me a, a pretty penny back then, man. <laughs> I had to fly them out first class across the entire nation. They only, uh, they only travel for, oh, well, they're so big. They can't fit in economy. Yeah. So yeah. And, um, I, I guess, yeah, that was the only way they were coming, man, for Cause he had to fly there and then fly back the same day. Uh, so from Boston uh, to LA and then back the, the next, that red eye that night. So uh, he's like, there's no, and it was, it was all my brothers too. And they're like, there's no way we're doing this unless you, you give us some nice seats, man. Uh, so got him out there and um, knew it would help immediately. Um, if they saw the support and saw us all together and uh, knew it would help with the pitch for sure. So uh, the producers loved it because it brings a lot more attention to the show as well. And um, it was kind of one of those things, too, where if, if they came out there, I knew we were going to air because not every show airs and, and not everyone even gets recorded. So uh, if they didn't come, I think it might have changed the, the chances of getting a deal plus airing as well. And I know that. So I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's still the case that that A-Rod then uh, he's now a 15 percent equity holder of it. So it was Mark Cuban and Alex uh, came in at 15 percent and then um, so seven and a half each and. Once Rob retired the first time, um, he ended up buying Alex out. So he wanted some in. He wanted in on the company. Wanted to get in the business world a little bit, and um, asked Alex if, if he could get in, and, and ended up buying his shares from him. And how? What was that like when you know you see Mark Cuban and A Rod buy into your company that you started yourself? I mean, that must have been a, a pretty good feeling, no? Well, absolutely, man. I was, <laughs> I was, I was ready for any offer. Uh, we were about twenty minutes in, and it doesn't show it on TV, but. It was a pretty decent amount of time before the first offer actually came on the table. Uh, you watch the show, it seems like it happened in the first, you know, 30 seconds, but it didn't. And so just to get some offers out there, um, just to know that what I thought was the greatest thing in the world, um, other people at least thought were, was pretty cool as well, because, you know, you're super biased to your own product, man. You, obviously, you think it's the greatest thing ever, but, um, you know, you don't necessarily know the, the opinions of experts. And it was good to, to see that they thought there was enough there. Uh, because at that time it was one product, one color, uh, but they saw enough there to actually invest in it as a company. Now, t- talk about like you know, because I heard I listened to you on a on another show. I forget exactly which one, where you talked about how you needed to learn how to be a team player from a business standpoint as well. And um, because I think at some point the work just got too much. Will you talk to me about kind of uh, 
you know, your process in being an entrepreneur and being a businessman and, you know, what you've learned along this path, because I know I can only imagine the grind that you've put into into Ice Shaker. Yeah, man. Uh, every I think it's like every week I say, man, I wish I started doing that last year. <laughs> I wish I knew that from day one, because uh, everything, everything you do, you get better at. And every day is a, a new thing that you learn and you implement and you get better with. So, uh, man, it's it's really you're you're like the ultimate problem solver of problems that you never thought you were ever going to face. And that's that's what it ends up being, man. So everything's about a process and putting it in place to fix things so that they never happen again. Or there's always an answer or solution for it. Uh, man, I mean, there's just countless examples. I, I knew nothing at first. Um, you know, it was just you know, grab some product, uh, zero plan, zero business plan, zero marketing plan, uh, nothing there at all. It was just showed up in at my front door and I said, let's figure this out. And so um, no clue what I was doing and just kind of um, had to figure everything out from that point and started going to Amazon, going to shows and talking to talking to people as well. That was something I wasn't great at. I, I thought I could figure everything out on my own. You, you kind of think it's easy, right? You look at these people that are super successful and you're like, oh man, if he can do it, you know, I can do it for sure. And, and that was kind of my attitude as well. Like, you know, this guy's absolutely killing it. Or like this company sells a hundred million, uh, you know, cups, of, cups a year. Like, obviously I could sell like, you know, at least half a million, right. From, from day one. And it's not the case at all, man. Building anything from ground up is extremely difficult. And, you know, there's nothing there. There's no, there's no trust from customers. There's no customer base. There's absolutely nothing there, and you just have to, to just start grinding it out to, to figure out which direction to go. What's something you wish you had known on day one or, like, maybe your top three biggest lessons? Man, day one. I mean, I, I think hiring earlier definitely would have been a, a huge help. Um, I could say that, but at the same time, you have to grind it out. You have to figure things out on your own. Um, so I wish I had a, a schedule, I guess, a, a plan, a, a budget, and um, – and also just just a forecast, you know, what I thought I can do, where I can get to, because once you put that on paper and once you have a goal to reach, it's a lot easier to get there. And um, I didn't do that until this year. You know, this year was the first time I, I put a budget in place. And this first month, you know, we're, we're halfway through it and we're like, wow, man, we are blowing out last year. And because everyone knows how to get there. Everyone knows what to do and what not to do now. And they know how much they can spend to get there. And how much they could save by by not getting there. So um, it, amazing what happens when you actually have a plan, you put it on paper, and you follow it. And I think what's also beautiful. I think I was looking at the uh, ice shaker TikTok that I believe you duetted. Um, that talks. <laughs> that's basically for the people out there that have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, it was basically you basically reshare on TikTok uh, a video from that talks about the the progression of the warehouses and how much storage you had with. Um, how many bottles you could uh, sell, and you know it just keeps on. It just kept on growing. At what point did you ever realize, like, wow, this is this is pretty amazing? Or have you still not had that moment? Man, I, I, it probably was this year. Um, I was pretty proud of the, the new warehouse. Kind of the first time I've ever showed off any of them because, man, the first one was this room uh, was the spot. The first bottles were stored. Um, after that, we moved into a 3,000 square foot warehouse with this tiny little office, no air conditioning. Uh, you know, the, the office and the bathroom were connected. <laughs> you know, it was, it was the worst ever, man. And it was like 120 degrees in there. And, uh, you know, that's the last thing you want to show people. Uh, you know, we moved into a new, another one and it was kind of, you know, it was a little bit better, uh, double the size, but, you know, nothing really to brag about. And, and now we have a spot where it's kind of sweet, man. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool to show it off a little bit. And that was kind of when, um, it was kind of that feeling like, man, it's, it's pretty impressive that we're in this building. And now when I walk in, I see everyone working, everyone grinding it out. It, it's just packages flying everywhere. You're like, man, this is a pretty cool spot to be in. Now, how do you continue for you the, the growth of, of Ice Shaker? And like, what are you looking to to implement in the next, you know, let's say this year and then five, 10 years? I don't know if that's exactly how you think about it. But yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, we have an entire budget forecasting for this year. Uh, you know, we're looking to bring on. um I think we're at eight employees now, maybe nine. So pretty small still. And we have it mapped out for the end of the year to have 23 to 25 um, employees by the end of the year. So uh, we have a, we have a, a forecast and we have a way to get there as well. And, and we think it's going to be a really successful path and it all comes in small steps. And uh, you know, everyone knows how to get there. 
get there. And, um, and with that, I think it's, it's going to work, man. And so far within the first two weeks, we already, we already seen what, what a great game plan can do. And, um, it's definitely been a game changer and just finding ways to, to also motivate people and, um, and really give them the responsibility to, to, to get things done. You know, it, it's, it, it helps and it feels good when they have that responsibility and they feel a part of the team. And that's something that, you know, I didn't do a great job early on. Um, I think I do a lot better now and, and I really make sure to let my guys know that, you know, you, you're a part of this, man, this is your decision. It's not on me. It's you. And, and by you making a great decision, great choice with the information that you have that I don't have, it's going to help us be better. So I'm um, seeing a lot of growth just because of that reason and really putting trust and faith into people. If I told you, give me your ideal situation for ice shaker in five and then 10 years, what would you say it would, it would look like? Man, I'm, I think it's going to be pretty big, man. We have some cool things. We have some cool plans already out there. Um, it's just really, it's about the people, man. There's nothing really that separates our product or really anyone for the most part. Um, you know, most products are, are very similar. It's just all about the team that you put around it and great teams win championships, man. And it took me so long to figure that out. And um, uh, every time I think about it, it's like, why did it? Because I was in this amazing structure with the NFL where it's the same thing as a business. You know, you have the head coach who's the CEO. You have the assistant coaches who are the managers. You know, you have the players that are the guys on the ground that are, are getting the work done. And, you know, it's such a simple structure and I was in it for so long and it, and it transfers over so easily as well. And it just took me so long to get there that it drives me crazy. But um, it, that's all it is, man. And, and when you put the right people in the right place and the right uh, you know, tactics and the right processes in, you're going to be amazing and you're going to accomplish a lot. And that's where we're getting to now. And we're really building a, a strong team. Now, how how much has uh, your newfound TikTok fame helped Ice Shaker? Man, it's it's hard to measure, but TikTok is a beast, man. It really is. And um, you know, at first when I, I grew, like, I, it all came from being challenged on my podcast by you know a kid who was really good on TikTok, and you know, he pretty much said like, "Man, you have a name and a cool story, and I have nothing." Like he was a, a you know a high or I guess a college dropout. He went to college for like six months and dropped out, and went on TikTok, and he's just killing it, right? And he's like, "I had nothing to tell anyone." And, what's and his I, name? uh jesus corona okay his name so um he was then uh teaching like others how to do it as well and helping out businesses and stuff and he came on and was like i challenge you to just post something cool every day for 30 days i'm like all right i'll do it and um at that time i probably had posted over 100 times on tiktok and i had like 10,000 followers so um it wasn't something where like no matter what i posted did well i didn't have over like 5,000 views on any videos and you could go back and like they're now higher because of how many people follow me and went back and saw them. But at that time there was maybe a couple over 5,000. And, um, you know, I started to do what he said, you know, he said, bring value, you know, find ways to bring value, tell cool stories that no one else has heard, you know, do make your, you know, really stand out and, and do something that people want to want to see and can engage with. So I did. And, um, you know, I started also commenting back to comments and really engaging and answering people's questions. And from there, within 30 days, it grew to 350,000 followers. Um, I reached like 50 million people in those 30 days. I was like, man, there is definitely something here. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was burnt out, but I kind of, once it started, I started seeing a decline in followers. Like, you know, I was growing at like 15,000 a day. Right. <laughs> and I started going down to like 10 and then five and then like a thousand. And I was like, man, like I started paying less attention to it, I guess. And it was probably the worst idea I ever had. And, it wasn't necessarily because I didn't want to do it. I was just super busy with the holidays and stuff like that too. But um, it's such a beast to, to be able to post once a day and grow a thousand followers and reach millions of people is insane. And so I, I really started doing it again recently and, and going a lot more in on it because you just can't get that reach, man, for free, especially and, and make those connections and, and get out there. So I can't predict how much, um, you know, it's, it's driving. I do have a link tree and I can see how many clicks are coming to my website. And it's, it's thousands, man. Um, you know, it's thousands of clicks. I also see the website. This is what's crazy. When one of my viral, one of my videos went viral and it was about Shark Tank, I had 30, it was like 30 to 35,000 views on the website, higher than normal, right? Wow. When we aired on Shark Tank, we only had like 35 to 40,000 views come to our website when we aired on Shark Tank. So the power of TikTok brought pretty much the same amount of views to my website as the first time we aired on shark tank huh. which was just insane to me man so uh, 
I doubted it and like I never really paid attention to it until this kid challenged me. But um man, it's it's real. Like it's 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 no joke and it definitely has drove a lot of sales to the website, but it's just I can't track it. So I, I don't know exact numbers on on how much it's actually drove in, in revenue. Well, I also think that your videos in particular are really interesting because no other past or current NFL player talks about like, you know, the the subtleties of, you know, do you guys pay taxes? Um, are there is there a nice, you know, moment with Peyton Manning? Like small things behind the scenes, I think that uh that people really enjoy and and I think that you do a great job with that. Yeah, there's been some cool ones, man. Um I don't know why people are so amused with taxes and think that NFL players don't pay them. <laughs> shocking to me because we we pay more than anyone does. Um but that and you know, cool stuff like rookie dinner, that one blew up. Um we're talking about Des Des Bryant having a <laughs> Fifty grand, um, pretty much in shots of Louis the Thirteenth, but just, just, um, yeah, man. I guess it, guys, when you're playing, you don't think about this stuff. Your know, fans love it; they eat it up. But when you're playing, you have a one-track mind, man, and that's winning games, and that's all you care about. And uh, you know, I wish I knew, but to tell you the truth, even if I knew how how powerful it was, I probably wouldn't have done it still because I, I didn't want to put myself out there. I didn't want to jeopardize my team or my position or anything like that. Uh, by going on social and telling a story about the week before where Des had to pay 50 grand, you know, <laughs> that'll look terrible for me. So I definitely stayed away from it. I understand why players do. And you know, you're getting paid so much. You don't want to jeopardize that by doing something stupid on social media. So um, I see why guys stay away. And you know, Rob's a, a great example of it. You know, he he plays it very, very safe. And and I beg him to, to post a little bit of like behind the scenes or something, man, because fans absolutely love it. And, um, you know, that's not what you care about at that time. So uh, you, you put all your effort into, uh, you know, what, what your what your thing is at that time. And, and at that time, it's it's football, and that's all you care about. Now, this episode will air in a, in a couple weeks' time, but I want to see if we uh, look back on it and we get an accurate prediction. Rob plays on Saturday against the, the New Orleans Saints. Give me a final prediction for maybe him um, and how that game's going to go. Man, this is, this is a tough one for me because – I'm a huge believer in, you know, you don't, you don't beat a good team twice. Right. Uh, in the NFL, it's very hard to, because when you win, normally you keep the same strategy and the other team goes and they create like this whole new scheme. And like, they come and throw everything at you the second time around. Right. And so the second time they played them and it was kind of a blowout again, it's kind of disappointing. Um, you know, I didn't see that coming. I thought it was going to be a really good game the second time around. So, um, man, Tom Brady's never lost three times to a team. Um, Man, he didn't come back to, to lose in the playoffs. But uh, if there's one team I didn't want to see them play, it, it was definitely the Saints. I could tell you that much. So uh, I think it's going to be a good game, man. Um, I, I think, man, I'm, I'm really, I really think they'll come out on top. But I think it's going to be a close game. It's kind of one of those games where Brady's going to just, you know, it's going to be last drive, and you know, somehow he pulls it off every single time when he really has to. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I see it going down. Um, Tight end wise, Rob wise, um, man, I don't know. It, it's tough to tell. You know, he plays such a pivotal role right now uh, in the blocking game, like he did with the, the Patriots in, in their Super Bowl run. That I could see him. He'll be in there as well. You know, he's he's playing left tackle basically now. Uh, <laughs> you know, blocking some of the best pass rushers. And he's in blocking the Chase game. Young. Yeah, it was insane, man. I, I, when I saw that for the first time, I'm like, there's no way he's one on one with this guy right now, and. Uh, you know, I kept watching and they kept putting him one-on-one with him, which is just like unheard of. I mean, you don't even put your left tackle one-on-one with that guy. So that was, that was pretty impressive to see. And I had, I had to throw the TikTok out on that one too, man, because I was pretty pumped to watch that. But um, I think they're going to keep him there. And um, you know what's – and they'll probably get a couple of just really big plays because of it because you know, when he does that and he's constantly blocking, he's doing a really good job, all that does is it opens you up for, you know, a little play action and pop him up the middle and, and get a quick TD that way. So I think we'll see a couple big plays, but for the most part, I think he's going to play a big role in the blocking game. Now to wrap things up, I'm always curious to know if, uh, you know, of course you're, you're still very young and, uh, but do you ever think about legacy? Do you ever think of, you know, the, the Chris Gronkowski legacy? Yeah, man, for sure. Um, I mean, for me, the legacy, it, it lives through my kids, man. So uh, I'm trying to build something for them. Uh, to carry on the name and, and be the best that they can be. So uh, that's that's kind of where my legacy sits, man. Um, I'm going to do the best job I can with my kids so that they can continue to uh, go strong with the family name. 
Beautiful. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Chris Gronkowski, uh, GronkFitnessProducts.com, IceShaker.com, the Gronked Up Podcast. I believe you have new episodes every Monday. Is that correct? Yeah, we're dropping every Monday. And then, uh, man, last but not least, the Gronk, uh, I guess the Gronk Bros channel on YouTube, man, has been popping too. We'll do a lot more with that, but um, we actually started it before Rob announced that he was coming back. So we had a lot of plans to do a bunch of things, and then you know, we decided to play football again. So uh, we'll get we'll get a lot more going with that. Um, really, the idea behind that was because of all the events, and this is also what killed it too. Um, you know, we were doing so many events, so many cool things, a lot of charity events, stuff like that that people just didn't see. And um, you know, and then Rob got you know he retired, so we wanted to find a way to come back together and, and be with each other. Cause before it was kind of game day, you know, every game day we all met up and uh, we hung out together and, and we kind of lost that. So we made the YouTube channel so we could continue to do these kind of crazy events and have these weekends together and um, show people behind the scenes because there is so much more going on that people don't see. I mean, there's, he does, he does some kind of charity work or event or something like almost every week and uh, people don't see that and they don't publicize that. They only publicize when he does something really stupid. So uh, <laughs> It was a really cool way to show the, the true behind the scenes of what really goes on. And um, we'll hit a lot more of the, the Gronk the Gronk Bros channel um, once the season ends. Beautiful. Well, uh, Chris, an absolute pleasure, honor to, to have you on my show. I really appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully one day if you're ever, you know, post-COVID uh, in New York, we bring you into the studio. But uh, wish you nothing but the best. And you're really an inspiration to me to to see how you can go from one field to another and and still find success. So thank you. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on today.